Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast and the founder and CEO at HW Media. Today's episode was one of those podcasts where I should have blocked my calendar for, for two to three hours. I was watching the clock tick as we got closer to 60 minutes. And I knew our guest, Mr. Mark King, the president of Keller Williams, had a, had a meeting coming up and I had to push along. So we got everything we could into an hour-long interview. We give you a little preview of the Real Trends rankings for 2022, the list that launches tomorrow. This is a a monumental year for Real Trends rankings. We're seeing some big movement in the top brokerages, and Keller Williams has a pretty prominent spot on that list. This conversation with Mark doesn't just talk about their prominence in our rankings. I promise you that. We go into leadership. We go into technology. We talk about the strategies that Mark and Gary Keller are employing to grow their organization and how they're thinking about the organization in one year, 10 years, 30 years as they plan for a future that's increasingly tech enabled and helps agents and other folks across the housing ecosystem create wealth. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Mark King, president of Keller Williams. So we're kicking off this episode and Mark's telling me before we hit record about his, his first career as a, as a musician and, uh, pl- playing, uh, some gigs a couple miles away from my house in Dallas and in, in deep Ellum. Mark, it's, it's phenomenal to, to hear how the, the career has shifted from music and movies to, uh, running the largest real estate brokerage in the country. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a career, but it was, uh, it was finding myself, right. Being, being a horrible singer and trying to trying to sing in a, in a gospel rock band is, is probably not the best path. So thank goodness real estate took me in. I'll save the questions for the end about how we connect your learnings as a gospel rock God to, uh, <laughs> to real estate leadership. Well, but Mark, thanks for joining me this, this morning. Um, man, uh, it was a little tough getting this one scheduled with both of our busy schedules and, uh, and then, Mine was even compounded. I flew from Dallas to Orlando last night, and with all those storms we had in Texas, we didn't land until like two thirty. And then I sat at the Avis Rent a Car desk for ninety minutes. Um, so uh, I got to my destination at about four thirty this morning. So um, excuse me if I'm chugging coffee throughout this whole conversation. No, I love it. That's great. We I I did, had the same experience coming back from Virginia in Austin last night. I've never seen the sky light up the way it did last night. It was like a, a fireworks show. Yeah, we were on the highway heading out to DFW, and I have a a Jeep hardtop, and um, I felt like I was in a tin can with like hail and rain. I was like, this is intense. My flight is not getting out, but but it eventually did. <laughs> so, despite the challenges, this is a really important and well timed conversation. Mark just last week. Keller Williams announced 2022 results. So some, some really interesting numbers in there and some really interesting initiatives as well. And, uh, we're also dropping this episode on Thursday, March 23rd, I believe, if I'm getting my dates right, the day before Real Trends rankings drop. So, uh, maybe, maybe tease out a few numbers in this this conversation and give our audience a little taste of what they can expect from the, the real trends rankings for, for 2022. You should Mark. I think there's a, a lot we can talk about here outside of bragging about some of the, the big numbers is we're, we're in a, a market that's transitioning quickly. And, and one of the things that I've seen Tracy Velt and our, our editors at, at real trends write about and talk about 
is some of the shift that's going on in terms of agent focus and also agent makeup. And we're kind of seeing this shift right now from a speed-based market to a skill-based market, which I know is something you've thought about and talked about quite a bit. So give, give us your, your view on how the market is shifting and how it impacts agents. You know, the, the first thing I would say is keep calm, that, that whole you know, line of t-shirts, because we have been through this before. And, and even though it's vastly different than 2008, and I can give you all the numbers, the numbers by themselves don't necessarily tell the story. But this sure feels a lot like the, you know, a lot like it did back in the mid 2000s. And I, I remember um, in 2006, 2007, we were expecting some kind of recession. And for whatever reason, you know, cash for clunkers, whatever the case was, that kept getting extended and pushed. And by the time we did fall off the cliff, we fell hard. And this time, you know, we were expecting some kind of recession in 2019. And I think we would have we would have experienced for sure in 2020 had COVID not hit. So again, we've printed a couple trillion dollars. And, and so we saw house prices go up by 38%. And we, we, we've all experienced what's happened with inflation over the last couple of years. So I think, I think we're just now paying the tab for that. But here's the, you know, when, when you step back a little bit, I, I bleed Keller Red. Everybody knows that. Um, I love this company. I think, you know, Keller Williams is not about what you get. It's about who you become. And one of the things people are often surprised to hear from me is I also love all of our competitors. Um, you know, I can, I, I can tell you most of the people that I interact with is my counterparts are great human beings. Um, they believe their business is, is the best place to be, et cetera. And so we, we share a commonality in that we want to protect the real estate agent, the fiduciary and the business, keep them at the center of the transaction, all of those things. And then, and then we have some other competitors who'd like to see us maybe not have such a fiduciary role. And that's a different conversation. But I think by and large, this industry with 1.56 million realtors 90 days ago, and, and we've lost 5%. We're on pace to lose a couple hundred thousand agents this year in this industry. And we can debate whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. We were, in a, we were in a speed-based market and everybody can sell a house to, you know, today about 85% of the, the agents in this business didn't go through the last downturn. Don't know what it's like to have a surplus of inventory. Uh, don't know what it's like to have to actually stage a property. Don't know what it's like to have listings expire and that sort of thing. So we are heavily involved from an education standpoint. And, and I probably will sound a lot like uh, your grandfather today uh, because most of the wisdom that we have is just good old sage grandpa's wisdom. That, that back to the basics wisdom. This is how I did it in my day and this is how you need to do it too. Yeah. Walked uphill in the snow both ways. But, but it, you know, there's, it's funny. There's a famous story in our company. An agent once told Gary Keller, this year I'm going to get back to the fundamentals. And he said, that's great. And who told you to leave them? Right. Because at the end of the day, what what makes this business so personal and so in such a such a fiduciary role, I often compare us to financial advisors and no offense. I love financial advisors. We need them. I have one. I love mine. Um, but I would argue that realtors are as or more important than financial advisors. We're, we're dealing with the most complex, usually highest valued asset most people are ever going to engage with. And so when you're trusting, when you think about it that way, you're trusting the sale or purchase of, of that thing to another human being. And so we take it very seriously. And, and I think the, the, uh, the industry at large uh, has a lot of training to do. Yeah. That's an interesting kind of parallel to draw between financial advisors and real estate agents. And I, and I don't contest or argue with you for a second that the advice that 
great agents bring to their clients as is equal or even more important in a lot of scenarios than than what FAs do with with their clients. But one of the things that I, I think is distinctly different is uh, the real estate agent ecosystem operates at a relatively high churn level with a high number of agents entering the profession each year and a high number of agents leaving the profession each year. And I think you, you know, just pointed to a forecast that we expect to see um, kind of net reduction in the number of agents over the next 12 to 24 months, 12 to 24 days potentially. And that FA ecosystem um, I think operates with a little more consistency. The the bar is is higher to clear. Um, and if you do feel, fail, you fail fast, and people don't stick around, and the, they're gone in ninety days, not in not in twelve to eighteen months. So, so tell me a little bit more about how you think. Um, if you think the nature of the, the, the churn, the new and exiting agents will, will change as the, as we see, uh, migration to a skill-based market, or if you think it's a good thing that we have an industry that, that welcomes new agents, um, very frequently. It's a polarizing topic because I, I do believe everyone can succeed at this business. If you do the right fundamentals, I think the challenge is, there's not agreement among the industry. You know, Gary's kind of taken on that voice as the educator of the industry. And I think that's why he's built the largest real estate company in the world, because training and education uh, is is the foundation for helping you get through any market. And we often say things to, to new agents. If you're just getting in this to make a little money this year, please don't. Uh, we want you to have an amazing career, not a great year. And so that that informs the decisions that we make. And it's, uh, you know, it's fascinating getting to work with Gary every day because you, you really see he is famously known for saying he wants realtor on his on his tombstone um, when he goes. And it's because he's constantly looking up and saying what's in the best interest of, of the agent. And so because of the churn rate and, and I usually draw like maybe a more stark analogy here is that you don't see a lot of uh, doctors who spend, you know, 13 years in school and residency, give up after six months and say, ah, this isn't for me. But the barrier to entry is so much higher for that profession. It's kind of the two extremes, right? And so for a few hundred dollars in a few weeks, you can become a professional real estate agent. Is that right? Is it wrong? I won't debate that. It just is the way that the industry is. And so you have to have the best training on the front end to help people accelerate their career as fast as possible. Because what we know is the first 90 days in their business will determine whether or not they're going to make it. And if they're willing to do the fundamentals, and it's still very simple. I know we've lived in this super frothy world and and there's all kinds of distractions in our industry, but the, the basic tenets of building a database and feeding it every day and communicating with it and then servicing the leads, th- those are very simple foundational models that that can't be argued. Still today, half of our business comes from people we already know who like us, who trust us. And so uh, especially for that new agent, they're typically working in their sphere of influence, right? They haven't, they haven't reached a point where they're buying leads from someone or whatever the case is. But having said that, Clayton, the, 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 the fascinating thing about the last 10 years is kind of the, the emergence of prop tech companies and, and everyone trying to figure out how to make a profit in that space and everyone selling to the same group of individuals. You have to remember about our, our industry that 80% of us don't make um, a living at this. And so when you when you consider that, a lot of people come into this industry and say, if I just had $100 a month from those 1.56 million realtors, we've got this amazing big business. And that math is true. 
the reality is when you sold real estate, when you've run brokerages your whole life, what you realize is there's an 80, 20 principle in this business. So our goal is to constantly help that 80% rise up into the 20 and make a great career out of this. That's really interesting. So when I think about, or, and I read through your messaging at, at Keller Williams, one of the top bullets in your 2022 results is that total agent count grew by, by 2% over, over 2021, which noting that some of the churn or net churn we see in the industry really started in the second half of the year. That's a, you know, that's a great accomplishment to have year over year agent count growth. As you, as you look to the next cycle where we anticipate total number of agents across the, across North America, let's use North America as our proxy here will, will be re- reduced. Do you still keep that North star of growing agent count or do you kind of shift to the mindset of, um, all right, how do we help this 80% become the 20% or how do we help the 20% become even more productive? How do the measures of success change at all in different, in different market cycles? It's a great question. I would tell you that our goal is to always have, I, I believe, and again, call me a homer, but I believe every agent should be with Keller Williams. I think we are a personal development company. So when I look at that 200,000 associates across the world, my job is to wake up every day and figure out how to help those human beings become better at whatever they want to be better at. And part of that is the job that they do in selling real estate. We could be in the financial services business. We could be, we could, we could sell widgets. We would still be a personal, you know, fundamentally kind of this, this personal growth type of business model. So, so yes, for us, our North star is always going to be the amount of lives that we can impact. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, last year, uh, one in five real estate transactions in the United States ran through a Keller Williams office. And if we do our job this year, it'll be one in four. And, and the reason for that is, is fascinating. And the industry is changing all the time. So this has been, remember, I'm going to sound like grandpa a little bit, but um, I'm kind of too, too young to, uh, to be grandpa yet, but I'm too old to know better kind of thing. And so I'm right in the middle. And, and being in this business the last 23 years, I would argue there's more changes and more innovation in the last, 20, last 10 years than probably the entire history of the industry. And so I was just in the Virginias with one of our, our operators uh, named Bowman Keaty, and he's a, he's a brilliant man. And he summed it up perfectly, so I'm going to steal from him. Uh, but he said, you know, we, we went from a broker era, and, the, and you think back to the 70s and 80s and kind of how real estate used to be. It was very broker-centric. It was 50-50 split. The broker would do the advertising, bring in the leads, put your face on a shopping cart. And then the agent would go out then and then, and then work the deals and show houses and list houses, et cetera. And for that, we, we were more partners with our brokerages, right? And so we were kind of in the gilded age of the broker back then. And, and now you look up and it sure feels like I, I kind of call it the Kim Kardashian era of the, of the real estate agent. And I, I are one. So it's my favorite realtor trademark joke. I are one. Some of you will get that. And I, uh, I, I look today and I go, we're in the gilded age of, of the real estate agent, right? And, and Bo summed it up perfectly and said, we are, we are quickly moving away from the broker age and even away from the, the realtor age. And we're, we're entering the consumer age. And that's the holy grail. That's what everybody wants. And here's the fascinating piece of that, Clayton. If you take the total number of households in the United States and divide that by the number of agents, if each one of us just had 67 households in our database that we kept in touch with, that we communicated with, that we shared all the market data with, we were the local economists of choice with, there would be no need for national aggregators. The only reason that national aggregators exist is because we don't stay in touch with our 
homeowner clients at, at the level that we could. And so there's 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 more than enough agents, um, and and we want we want even more. There's a there's a great part of the shift book that Gary wrote uh, about the law of equilibrium. It basically states that the amount of realtors will be correlative to the amount of commission dollars to be earned in any at any time. And so as you see the market go up and go down, agents are typically a, a, a I would call it a slow follow. And I think what you're seeing today, we're here we are six months later after the Fed started, you know, really raising the interest rates. And and now you're just seeing the effects of the agents getting out of the business. I think that continues and you never know what's going to happen, right? You never know what's going to extend what we're going through. And we can't control that at the, at the with the recent collapses of some of the regional banks and different things. We're seeing how the government's responding to that. So I would not want to be in, in uh, Fed Chairman Powell's shoes right now. Because you either you either encourage more inflation, which we can't afford as a society, or you know you uh, you put a hard stop and you don't let you know pe- banks be bailed out or whatever the case is. So you're you're in this really tough spot right now. You're, you it, pick pick the battle you want, either big recession or big inflation. Yeah, no, it's a uh, it is a it is a pickle that we are in e- economically, and would not want to be in Chairman Powell's shoes either. Though I would like to be a fly on the wall of many of the conversations that are going on um, last weekend and and in this upcoming weekend. It doesn't seem like we're gonna the news cycle is quite gonna stop on on bank pressure right now. But but bring it but bringing it back to the agent. So. Um, th- Outside of high interest rates and um, and home, rapidly rising home prices on all the the affordability challenges, we also see this trend where homeowners, potentially compounded by those indicators, are economic um, impacts are staying in their homes longer. And we've seen the the average years in home go from five or six up to, to ten to twelve, depending on on the exact measure. How how are agents managing that challenge and staying in touch with those sixty seven households per agent um, when they aren't when homeowners aren't transacting as frequently as they they were at one time or or may at some point in the future? That's a great question. So I I think this is still a supply and demand business, and from a macroeconomic scale, what you see is like. 2021, we sold 6.1 million houses as, a, as an industry. And I'm specific to the United States because the rest of the world typically follows. And last year, we sold 5 million. And this year, we're projecting anywhere from 3.9 to 4.2, again, devoid of any drastic government intervention. And so when you think about the percentage of drop, so we have more agents than we had in 2021 and 33% less units. We're still a units economic business model, no matter how you operate in real estate, whatever you do. So when you have a 33% drop in in sales and widgets that you sell, um, you're going to feel it somewhere. There's there's more pressure. Now, the, the reason, if you go back to the reason that you haven't seen a more significant drop in real estate agent count, remember the, the amount of real estate agents will follow the amount of commission dollars to be earned. People have to make a living at this. And because of, of the rapid rising values of homes, most people haven't noticed it yet. And I think that's what's going to show up this year. And I, I'm not predicting some big, none of us know is, is the true answer because, again, there's a lot of variables. But I'm not predicting a big giant drop in, in values. I think there could be some bit of a correction, but all the, all the people thinking there's going to be a 50%. I'm just waiting, waiting to buy that 50% real estate. I don't, I don't see it. In fact, if you study this industry the way that we do, uh, you know, home prices have appreciated at 4% since the beginning of, of time. 
And we were below that 4% line for 13 years. So what felt like normal to us, we didn't actually cross back over the 4% line until November of 2021. So now we're about 12%, maybe we've dropped a little bit, maybe 10% above, above that 4% line. So there's there's only two things that are going to happen. Either we're going to drop 10% and get right back on the 4% line. We may dip a little below that, or in a couple, we'll stay flat until the 4% line catches up to where we are today. But I, I don't see a massive drop. I think there's too many other pressures causing, I'll give you one example of that, but there's lots of them. There are 5 million more millennial buyers at peak buying age today than there were Gen Xers like me in 2008. And so we don't have enough housing. And on top of that, we don't have enough affordable housing. So the, their stat that haunts me, uh, because I have a, I have a 18, about, about to be 19 year old stepson is that 49% of 18 to, I think it's 18, 29 year olds, 18, 24 year olds. You have to, you have to look it up, uh, still live at home. So half of our adult children are, are living at home and it makes sense why the ADU business, the, the additional dwelling unit, um, business model is, is flying off the shelves right now. It's why. Um, you know, so many kids are staying in college a little longer. It's, it's, it's all of those factors together, but the demand for housing is greater than the supply. And when that happens, the pressure to keep prices high is, I mean, that's, that's the key indicator, which, which will keep those values up. Why does that matter? Because if the average agent in our industry sells three houses next year, uh, which would be the entire, that would be the average, right? If you took 4.2 4.2 million divided by the 1.4 million we think there will be, uh, that there's three houses to sell. Well, the good news is you can take that times the average sales price and still do okay if, if you're extremely average. The truth is that you and I know is that you know 20% of the, the realtors are going to do 80% of the business. So there's going to be a lot of people who aren't making a living doing this. And I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see uh, companies that either become the safe harbor to run to or the company that people run from. And with all the frothiness and the recruiting back and forth that, you know, especially over the last several years, agent count still has to be a metric that you look at. And it's more of a measure of who are you able to train up and and create value enough for that they can actually make a living doing this. That's really what that metric means to me. So I'm going to come back to this topic of agent count. Like, Why is agent count the North North Star? Like, If you really have 20% of the agents doing 80% of the business, and there really is not an average agent. There's a median agent and it doesn't look, it's not three transactions a year. Why are there, why does the business model not emphasize making the 20% as productive as possible? And instead of having a, a large agent count, like what, like what, what happens in different cycles where the agent count becomes such an important driver of long-term success? Well, number one is this is still a relationship business. You're still a, a personal relationship fiduciary in the transaction. And so the, you know, the more agents you have, the more spheres of influence you have is, is the way that I think about that. And, you know, not to go down the, the rabbit hole of, of brands and branding and marketing. Um, but we, we are a company that stands behind the agent. You won't see us advertising on a Super Bowl because it's not about the company. It's about the agent. It's about their sphere of influence. And so, if you believe, I can also tell you that the, the number one correlative to brokerage profit is agent count. And so until that changes, um, and keep in mind it, it, in most companies, and we were kind of the company that pioneered this, but we, we came up with a better split model for the real estate agent, which now today almost everyone has adopted. So if you have what we would call a hundred percent model, meaning you can pay a certain amount to your broker and then be at a hundred percent for the rest of your, your fiscal year. 
then um, you're kind of capped in what your top line revenue can be. And so agent count still matters for the broker to be profitable. And I would argue without the brokerage, the agents don't really have a have beneficial protection and, and against broker liability and things like that. And there's a huge value to the brokerage in our industry to help the agents provide the training to do those, all the things that, that, that we agents don't want to do. Right. And, uh, and I think that the challenge there, Clayton, is that the brokerage model has become, you know, kind of a commodity in good times where literally you'll have agents say things like, I'm going to find the, the place I can pay the least to be in that brokerage so that I can go spend all this money on my tech platform or whatever the case is. And, and we believe that could be a little bit misguided. Right. It's 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 one of the reasons that we don't have to go down this long, long road. But it's one of the reasons we developed our own technology so that agents could have the best of all worlds, you could have the best technology and the best brokerage model. Yeah. So I want to come back to technology, Mark. But I, here I am, like pre- pressing on the strategy questions of increasing agent count. But the numbers do speak for themselves. So so we'll give the audience a little bit of a, a, a preview of the, the real trends rankings data, which which I think is, like I said earlier, is dropping the day after this episode drops. So um, I love it when our data lines up with the, the metrics that you shared earlier on and in <laughs> your talking points. But uh, all right, everybody, can we get a, a drum roll on on Keller Williams numbers for uh, the Real Trends rankings? Over 1 million sides, that's over 425 billion in volume is uh, what we're going to be releasing in these Real Trends numbers. Keller Williams, number one by sides, and number one by volume. Pretty phenomenal. So we cut these rankings a lot of different ways. We'll look at the largest single brokerage by volume, largest single brokerage by sides. And then we also look at the largest national network. And, and Keller is in this national network category with, with all of the, the franchises rolling up into Keller's national network. And that produces this number one by sides and number one by volume by, by a pretty Big landslide, Mark. I mean, it's it's phenomenal um, the scale that you and your team have achieved through this strategy. It's humbling, and thank you for saying all those things. Uh, it's probably more in spite of me and my leadership than because of it. And I would tell you that, uh, I mean, I'm I'm just humbled to be a part of that. Or I have my own brokerage offices, right? I, I grew up in this business. I learned how to be a, an agent from Gary Keller. And so uh, what he has built is absolutely unbelievable, but we don't take any credit for it. It is a testament to all of the amazing people in our organization, and it's a testament to the leaders we have in the field. And so we, none of us, I remind people all the time, and, and you know, we, we had another, one of, one of your competitors kind of misquote me in the, in the press one day, but the last class I taught in a, in a market center was called Someone Has to Sell a Damn House. And the reason for that is the industry has gotten so interesting and frothy of, Let's focus on, you know, let's build a team or let's go get some, you know, profit share, or rev share, or let's go do stock or let's do all these things that have nothing to do with the core tenets of being an amazing real estate agent, which is the place we've never left, right? It's, it's, the, it's the foundation of our company is, again, personal development. So uh, I think all of those results are great, um, but we're not... We're, we're honestly not playing a, a, a game here where, where we care who won last year. We're, we're trying to play the infinite game, to, to quote Simon Sinek, and, and keep the industry strong and thriving and, and help protect those real estate agents. So thank you for saying all that. Um, we still have a lot of growth to do. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. 
That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles brings together the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, C-suite leaders, and top producing agents to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's Gathering of Eagles is at the Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th to 21st. Learn more and register your spot today on the events page at realtrends.com. We can't wait to see you in Austin. It's uh, I, I can kind of sense through this conversation that you kind of approach the business through a kind of an abundance mindset and a in a viewpoint that if we can all grow the pie and create a more sustainable and efficient housing ecosystem that that we all win. I, I know, and I you kind of quit, quipped that one of our competitors misquotes you. I, I don't even think about our like uh, you know other folks who create content or do data in housing as, as competitors. I mean, I, I look at it as a, as an ecosystem play and um, we can all make each, make each other stronger. And I, I love that my team competes like tooth and nail with, with the the perceived competition, but kind of at the, at the ownership level, all, all great people that um, I think we can all make each other stronger. And I kind of feel like you kind of look at the, some of the leadership of your competitors, even if they have different focus areas in a, in a similar way. I think that's spot on. And I think the, the, what causes that mindset and what this company did again, it's, you know, it's, it sounds like it, it sounds a little airy fairy, but Keller Williams is not about what you get. It's not about the benefits and features. It's about who you become. And for me personally, and many people like me, we created wealth here. We created passive income here. And, and, uh, the reason we're so heavily focused on building wealth building is so that when we go through times like this, which, which we're going to go through again, I plan on uh, being a lifer in this business. So I expect to go through three or four more of these downturns. But if your passive income is more than your your business expenses and your personal expenses, you make different decisions in your business every day and you truly can be the best fiduciary for your clients versus kind of that, uh, you know, that that sense of desperation and some of the things that go on in the industry. So I think that's I think it's all it all goes hand in hand. It's a it's a it's an entire we, we coach to the whole person. It's an entire person development kind of kind of company. Yeah. And if you're as an individual agent or as a business, if you're not able to to build wealth in the good times, then you do act from that point of desperation. And when times are tougher, you're going through an evolutionary phase. Like I think this industry is doing right now, you don't have the resources to invest in, in technology and more efficient processes and data and tools that make you a better advisor to clients. So let's use that as a bridge to talk about the Keller Williams approach to technology and the approach to, to building or partnering or acquiring solutions that help your brokerages and agents be as impactful as possible and build wealth? Yeah. Um, I can't give you all of our secrets. Um, I don't even know what's a secret anymore. Uh, we're so open about all this stuff. But, uh, but I will tell you that you know what sits on my desk every day is this this book with a red cover on it and if you'll notice this is my 13th copy i i wear the covers off of this because uh this book is still as relevant as it was 20 years ago when it was first printed 
it's basically a reverse engineered. If you want to go earn a million dollars a year in, in real estate, here's exactly how you do it step by step. And um, if you think of our technology, our technology is the software that goes along with this hardware. And so our, our core fundamental belief is that you own and control your data, your sphere of influence. You are the product. So I'm not sure how you, the agent, can be the product, but outsource all of your data mining, your data collection, your contract, you know, your contact management system. I don't know how you can give all your data to somebody else and say you're still the product. And so if you understand that perspective, then it's simple to see why we have this billion dollar spend on our technology. And because of our size and scale, we're, we're, we're one of the few that can actually do this. And it's an entire platform. I know there's other companies that kind of waited in and waited out and, and did all that. I mean, everybody's had to make their own decision. But I, this company will not outsource what we think is the most important thing, and that is relationships. And so that's, even though the industry has, has done that, and you have, you know, uh, aggregators like Realtor.com and, and Zillow and, and several others, and, you know, um, God bless them because they, they have businesses and, and I'll be sitting across the table from a, a single mother and her only deal came in this month from realtor.com and she's paying them a 38% referral fee. And I'm, I'm happy that she has that business. I'm, I'm great with that. I just hope that she's also building a database so that at some point in the future, she won't rely on something that, that takes that much of her commission. Right. So there, those, that said, our technology strategy is very simple, and that is to protect the real estate agent. And so if you think about from, from that lens, if I have my own database, if I'm the only one marketing to it, if I'm the only one communicating with it, then and I don't have some outsider selling my data, then I have an advantage in this industry. And I can kind of be that, that fiduciary at the highest level. So with, when you run a, a business that it's heavily... Um driven by recruiting and bringing new and existing agents into the business model, you're, you're bound to inherit and attract people with, with different preferences and experiences with tools. So I imagine you you have agents that are coming in that are moxie fans to the core, like can't do anything without KV core. And, and then you have others who are like, I don't know, Mark, like tell me what you want me to use. And um, so how do you manage some of the different technology preferences of agents and inside of Keller, how much of that is driven at the corporate level versus driven at the franchise level versus driven at the agent level? Well, the first that I'll answer that question first. Uh, we built all of our technology with the help of agents. We had twenty five hundred agents. Uh, we call it our labs process help us build our technology. But you're right. There were, I, I would argue, there were two mistakes that that we learned from early on with tech. One is that if you ask enough of us, what we want, we can't agree on, on a lot of things. And so what you end up doing is creating technology for what we would call edge cases. So, you know, I, I like to have a database. I like to communicate it, but on, on Thursdays, I wanted to do this. And, you know, if the wind's blowing out of the East, I wanted to do that. And so because of that, you can get lost in the edge cases. And I think we were guilty of that early on because we wanted to try and appease everyone. And until you get alignment from everyone, which I don't know that we'll ever have, uh, it's really hard to do. And so we went really wide in the beginning. The second piece, which plays into this, uh, is that we were very much a closed architecture. We were very much going to serve all people with all things and do all the things. 
and that that is a very expensive. Um, I can tell you personally, it's very expensive um, and very long, arduous process. So by bringing Chris Cox in and, and the team he's assembled um, as our CTO, uh, one of the things that we've really gotten good at is is being able to plug other technologies in. So whatever your preference is, whatever you want to use, you're welcome to use it, and you can plug it straight in through API to to our technology. So that our technology also runs our brokerages, and it's and again we're open book. So if you want to track your net worth in our technology, you can do that because part again part of our vision is is to make sure that we're helping people become wealthy. And so you know we're coaching to the whole person. So if you want to plug any other technology in, you can, and uh, you can forecast and predict you know some of the some of the analytics that come through. Right now, 34,000 people actively engaging in this technology on a daily basis and, and you know, 3.4 million unique visitors coming to our website every month. And I can give you all, again, all the numbers. But as we think going forward, you, you have to ask the question, what does the business look like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? When I'm long gone from this role, I, I intend to leave this, this place better than I found it. And, uh, and whoever follows me will have to pick up that that torch and carry it on. So when I think about what the future of this business looks like, uh, I'll go back to something that that we talked about probably in 2017, 2018. And that is for a long time, the jury was out uh, on whether or not the consumer actually saw the realtor as a trusted fiduciary or if they saw them as a functionary. And the, the, the examples I would give you is, ironically, Rich Barton, who, who helped create Expedia, learned that the travel industry, the consumer thought the travel agent was more of a functionary than a fiduciary. And so you saw Expedia kind of take over that industry and you see the decline of travel agents and the decline of earnings of travel agents, that sort of thing. Conversely, LegalZoom didn't put attorneys out of business when people are on on trial. You don't want to go to the, the, the interweb and figure out how to defend yourself. You're still going to hire the best possible human being you can and the fiduciary who's going to help support you and, and defend you. And I think that the uh, the consumer is still saying that we see real estate agents more like attorneys than we see them like travel agents. And no offense to any other prof- profession, because ultimately the reason that we're saying that, that we're entering the consumer age, the consumer will decide what our industry looks like. Right. It's it's uh, if you don't have amazing um, consumer relationships, which is why agent count matters. It's why our technology matters. You can't outsource those relationships. And so, you know, we believe going forward that the agent being able to be enabled by their own technology and protect their own data and the the predictive analytics at the largest scale gives the agent an advan- advantage over everybody else. Absolutely. I, I, I cringe when I see uh, content or people talk about um chat GTP or like other automation solutions, replacing the loan officer, replacing the real estate agent, where the real focus really needs to be on how technology and automation helps people operate at their highest and best and removes them out of tasks that they might not be, um, you know, the, the, the best at, or like they don't need, it's, you know, it's just pure process and admin. And I think that's where technology has the biggest opportunity to keep changing the housing industry for the better. U- ultimately, God, and, and I, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on the mortgage side of the house and 
what we're seeing in mortgage right now is this massive overhiring, massive cleansing and um, job job reduction and uh, reduction in force. And um, there's a point where the industry needs to build a more elastic and tech enabled ecosystem that can ebb and flow with the size of the market and um, the existence of refi or the non-existence of, of refi. But ultimately that same concept applies to real estate and there will be markets where agents can on average, even though we know the average agent doesn't exist, sell six homes a year instead of three homes a year. And technology needs to enable that person to, um, to, to operate in any, in any market cycle. So I, I, I feel like when you talk about open architecture, that, that is a nod to the fact that there are technology solutions, innovations that help agents become more efficient. And in a closed architecture ecosystem, even not even like Keller, but like any business that's closed architecture, you do kind of limit your people from testing and playing and iterating with the most innovative solutions out there and finding the tools that, that work for them. Yeah, and I yeah, I think you're spot on. The the technology that's most valuable to the agent is the one that they'll use and engage with every day. It's the same with database and and, and the challenge is um I, I'm still I still would love to have a debate on how much technology actually does lever an agent. And and I know there there's some things that are great and some things that, that turn out not to be so. Things like lead generation are very costly in the tech space. And so you end up giving a huge chunk of what you earn to do your job to someone else for doing the one thing that should be inherent to you doing. So I, I would argue that if the technology leverages the, the, the functionality or the functionary tasks of a real estate agent, and there are a lot of those, that's awesome. It's great. You're more efficient. When the, when the technology starts to kind of step on your toes over here in the fiduciary lane, that's when not only does it not become more efficient, but I would argue becomes very costly. So things like, um, you know, building a database rather than, you know, buying a lead, for example, are, are so much more valuable and so much more lucrative for the real estate agent and, and honestly protect their margins as they go forward. Things like, you know, communicating in a very human way, um, I don't think can be outsourced. So there's you think about the, you know, we've actually broken down the, the 186 tasks of a, of a real estate agent, and there's only five or six of them that are true, important for you to do. Um, and, and those are the things like, you know, building your database and being relational, being more human, being that person who is actually fighting for your client's interest and protecting your clients um, and being educated to do so. So when you think about technology, I think about, you know, I have so much technology in my life and I'm not sure what part of it actually helps me save time. It doesn't seem like I have any more time than I used to, but maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just spoiled. But your business is bigger than it was before technology. And I think that's something that anybody, any professional has to come to terms with. If you sold three houses a year pre-technology and you implement all these tools and pay for leads and have automation. And then you sell three houses a year after technology, you're going to earn less money. You're spending money on tools and producing the same output. But if you spend money on those tools and go from three to six, then you're probably in a better place. And I, I, I think there's a, you know, you talk about uh, like, reduction in force or just smaller populations of loan originators or real estate agents or title professionals or any other like 
job category, um, there's a bifurcation. There's the people who are implementing technology and learning how to be more efficient and scaling their businesses because of it. And I, I'm seeing that so prominent on the loan originator side. There's like two different camps. People are going in two different directions, staying the same or reducing volume or people that are skyrocketing. And, um, and I'm talking individuals. I'm like, I'm talking like LOs, not the, the mortgage shops right now. And um, I don't know. It's, it's just something I feel like if you're a professional, you got to ask yourself, like, did I get better because of these tools? If not, go back to the basics or the, fu- the very fundamentals. I think it's a, it's a combination of both. It's the person who nails the fundamentals and then uses technology to leverage their, their functionary tasks. Those are the people who are really taking off. I think the challenge with that is we're all in different places and, and we're all in different businesses. You mentioned LOs. It's a great example of largest mortgage company in the world is Rocket Mortgage, right? A, a virtual mortgage company. And I think the consumer has, has kind of voted with their, with their dollars of how they view that. And so you, you tend to watch the industry as, as, uh, as society changes and, and you see different companies emerge with different models and that's, we call it innovation. And the thing that, that hasn't changed in our business is that, that want that need, that desire for a, a professional human being to help you through this transaction. So Mark, we talked about how, Keller Williams is approaching 200,000 agents worldwide. So, so you are effectively leading 200,000 people. That's a, that has a massive army of real estate agents. Let's talk a little bit about leadership. And, um, you've mentioned Gary a few times. You shared version 13 of his book that you've dog eared and, uh, and beat up so many times you have to replace it. How do you, how do you and Gary and the rest of the leadership team kind of Think of your roles as executives and divide and conquer inside of the organization. Like we're, we're like, how do you lead 200,000 people effectively? And how do you work with your core team to, to do that as impactfully as possible? Thank you for asking that. I think uh, the easiest way to describe this is we are extremely transparent. We're open. We're honest. Uh, we have a core set of, of beliefs that we all follow and align on. And uh, we call it our mission, vision, value, belief, and perspective. And we, we overlay our purpose on top of that. Right. And so I, and I can give you all the, all the quotes I got to memorize. I can tell you exactly what they are, but, but I'll shorten it for you and just say that we believe that we are the place in this industry for entrepreneurs to thrive. And we see ourselves as a distribution network to help as many people have whatever they choose to have, whatever they're willing to work for. You think about it this way, and this, um, you know, this uh, not not to cheapen the brand at all, but but if you think of, of, I think of Keller Williams as a massive distribution network, and we have a lot of examples of agents who solve problems for other agents, and then put that product on our shelves all across the country now, all across the, the world, and uh, because again, go back to we have a fundamental difference of belief in how this how this industry works. We believe real estate is still a very local, hyper local business. And we believe the agent and their relationships are really what, what matters. And so there's no national company, Keller Williams Realty International included, that's smarter than the agent on the ground, driving street to street, understanding neighborhoods. Um, Zillow, there, there's not a, there's not a national company that's smarter. That's why this estimate is, is so far off many times but a local real estate agent is, is typically smarter. Now we have to have our real estate agents be educated and trained and understand that and be the local economist's choice for that to work. 
But at the end of the day, our belief system and leadership comes down to, to, to these fundamentals that we align on, that we agree on. And when that happens and, and you, you run every decision through what we call our Y4C2Ts, it's, you know, the, the, the W is for win, win or no deal. And that usually helps you make 90% of the, the decisions. And, and then you got integrity, do the right thing. You got customers always come first. I won't recite them all for you, but we all agree and align on that. These are the founding principles, um, kind of the pillars of our culture. And at the end of the day, if we help you build passive income, if we help you uh, think bigger, um, we, we, we give a lot of money to our charity, right? We're, we're always in the middle of every unfortunate, every natural disaster that happens, you'll find us right in the middle of it. So when you think about that, we're all in alignment. Uh, doesn't mean we don't have great dust ups behind the scenes. And, you know, we all, we all fight for what we believe is the best thing for the agent. And at the end of the day, we walk out of that room. And the cool thing about this team is you'll never know who was on what side, whatever decision, we, including Gary, whatever decision we make, um, you know, we're going to make as a team. The, the a side note on that, having, having such a visionary founder in that group who was a real estate agent and then was a brokerage owner and, and done all the things uh, matters. And it matters because, uh, you know, I, I think I think Gary Keller might be, and I'm not just saying this because I work for him, but he might be the smartest human that I've certainly in this industry I've ever met or, or heard about. And he's also usually years ahead of, of the industry, he kind of sees where it's going. And and I'll give you his secret. Here we go on this podcast. I'm going to give you the, the secret of the person who built the largest real estate company in the world. Um, so if if tomorrow I'm not here, you'll know why. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but the man still interviews top agents every single day. He's in the mix every single day. Um, when I'm working on Saturdays, he beats me to the office. Um, he's interviewing real estate agents every day. He's on the ground with them. He has the ability to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of very close, deep relationships with real estate agents. And because of that, he is literally learning. And, you know, when people say I was coached by Gary Keller, um, and so many of us were, what you realize is during that coaching, he was getting that collective intellect and he was, he was smarter than all of us because he's actually in the field every single day. Not many people do that. And he demands that of all of us. So I believe I work with the smartest people. You know, one of the things he always says, taught me is, you know, make sure you're the dumbest person in the room. And I nail that. I am great at that. And so uh, I work with amazingly smart people who are smart in, in and of them, themselves, but they also are talking to, interviewing, listening to real estate agents every single day. And so that's when, when you have that type of uh, energy and ecosystem and company, it makes you very aware and very nimble to take action on what's coming. And so he can see patterns and we're also an open book company. So we track all the trends and we kind of can tell you where we're forecasting and we build our budget around that. We do all those business things too. But the reality is when he sees the top agents having similar challenges, he works with them to come up with a solution. And then that kind of, you know, trickles all the way through the organization and becomes the basis for our learning going forward. I, I, it took me years to catch up because he's, he's got, he's got so many of these ideas that are 10 years, 20 years down the road. In fact, a lot of times we'll launch something at Keller Williams that everybody thinks we're crazy to launch. And five years later, everybody's doing it. Um, this whole idea of expansion 
came from a, a mastermind with Gary starting back in the mid 2000s. And it was the idea that an agent could do what they do at a local level at a very high level and they could move to the town over and do it again and the town over and the state over the state over today we have teams that are in almost every state you know we have and, and here's the other thing that i would tell you gary wakes up every day and and i think all of us wake up every day and say what is next for the agent and if you follow his career here's what here's what's informed the company you know he started out at working for another real estate company and the, the famous story is his boss at the time said, those agents, they work for us. And Gary said, I think you got it backwards. I think we work for them. And that servant leadership is what we carry throughout our leadership team. I look at myself as serving 200,000 families, right? It's someone, someone asked me in a different interview, what's it like to be at the top of a, the largest real estate? And I said, I, I am at the bottom. This is my job is to support 200,000 families. But, but if you just carry that theme on, Gary said, what if the agent was the brand? Thus was born the grand experiment called Keller Williams. And then once an agent built, you know, a sizable income back in the 80s, Gary said, well, how could they put leverage in their life and grow even more income? And thus the MREA and the team and the, the org chart and the economic model and the budget model and, you know, the lead generation model emerged from thinking what's next for the agent. Agents now get really big. I was one of those. Um, you know, I was one of the top agents in the country back in the, in the mid 2000s, and I chose a different path. I chose office leadership and, and, and those type of things. But if I knew what I knew then, I would still have my real estate team. We'd have expanded across the country. Right. And, and, and I honestly didn't know what Gary was talking about when he first talked, started talking about expansion and, and other things. So then he said, what's next? And that what's next is you go, go nationwide. Now the question is what's next? We kind of got, kind of got that model working. What's next? Well, that could be ancillary opportunities. It could be a couple of our agents that he's helped coach into coming up with solutions for the industry that now they've spun off their own companies that are getting valued at hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Can you give us an example there? Like what, 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 what are examples of those? You know, yeah, I would brag on, on several of our people. Um, you know, we, Tim Heil comes to mind and, and his bridge loan company that kind of came from a, a need for agents to help their clients kind of deal with the crazy market of the last couple of years. Cyberbacker with Craig Goodliff is a, a great example. It's a virtual assistant model. He now has over 3,500 VAs working for him. Um, and there's, there's 10 more examples like that. And there's a lot more coming. And that's why we say Keller Williams is the place where entrepreneurs thrive. Because literally, whatever whatever problem you can solve for the rest of us, we'll help you scale that. And if there's one thing Gary Keller knows, it's how to scale. And it's the one thing that everybody else seems to struggle with in this industry. Um, and so that's that's why if, if you if you want to know what Keller Williams is going to be doing next year, just follow that line of thinking. I promise you we'll meet. We'll meet a year from now and be talking about what's next for the real estate agent. All right, Mark, I think we need to put it on the calendar. We got to come back, come back in a year. Do it. Thank you so much for your time today, folks. Real Trends rankings drop tomorrow. Check it out, realtrends.com. Um, we gave you a little pre preview of what to expect from Keller Williams, but there's a lot of surprising movements in in this year's rankings. So uh, we're seeing some changes in business models, some some emergence of of new players. So uh, we're going to be digging deep in the, the data in a better format than ever, more digital friendly, more digital native is going to be on realtrends.com. Mark, thank you again. Thank you so much, Clayton. We appreciate you. Go be wealthy. Got questions on what to do given this year's tougher housing market? Well, we've got answers. 
This year's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for brokerage, association and team leaders, C-suite leaders, and top producing agents to come together to learn how to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses. Join us at the Omni Barton Creek Resort in Austin, Texas from June 18th to 21st. Register today by heading to the events page at realtrends.com. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.